Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 164. If you like Azul, try out these other games. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers for helping us bring you an ad-free episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Hey, Anthony, it looks like we survived April 1st and all of our great board game geek friends posting incredibly insane and yet strangely attractive, I guess, April Fool's versions of popular games. Did you get a chance to see any of these? No, see, I tend to go on like a media lockdown on April Fool's Day uh, because it annoys me. But (laughs) and then I, I figured, you know what, in the next couple of days, people will repost the ones that are actually funny. And sure. I can avoid and ignore all the ones that were horrible. So right. why don't you share with me? And then I have saved myself time. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing a public service here. So yeah, exactly. A... <laughs> what was funny this year is typically I look out for Blizzard. Blizzard always does a really great job kind of hyping up their games with these characters that will never exist. And then typically sometimes they do exist. And then I think it's ThinkGeek always has this really strange item that they put out there, and then of course everybody wants it, and then it becomes a thing. So what I got here for you today is just a handful of games, just some visual mock-ups that people have made on Board Game Geek, and you could take a look on Board Game Geek for all these really fun images. But it just kind of gets you interested because being gamers and completionists, anytime we see a great game that we love, and then we see something that could be like an offshoot or some wacky promo, of course you want that too. So, first off, we have, in the vein of Terraforming Mars, we have Fields of Mars, which puts together, you know, Fields of Green from Stronghold Games and, of course, Terraforming Mars from Stronghold Games. So, they kind of, like, put them both together, and basically what you're looking at is a farmer on a tractor on the planetary surface of Mars, and it looks like there is alien geese kind of walking around, so... That's a thing that they brought up and was kind of okay. What do you think? <laughs> uh, you know, the funny thing though is I don't, I'm sure some of these are legitimately silly, but because of the way board games are and how some of the themes are just ridiculous anyways, that sounds like it could be a real game. You know, <laughs> sure. I'd play that, right? <laughs> well, the funny thing is so many of the games that we do like tend to have a lot of pasted on themes. So why not after all? Yeah, just make it up. You have, well, to, you have to go pretty far out there for me to be like, that's ridiculous. All right. I got a ridiculous one for you, maybe. All right. How about code names? Now, you can pretty much do anything you want with code names, but how about code names with Pikachu? And all of the, the possible clues here are Pika or Pikachu. And then there's another version, because you have to have two versions when it comes to code names, which is basically code names to Hodor edition from Game <laughs> of Thrones. So every card is Hodor. <laughs> I feel like they should make those just because people will want to own them. <laughs> the really funny thing is I'd probably buy it too. Yeah, yeah, I'd buy a Hodor. <laughs> and I and I I mean there's a couple other ones. Azul using Starburst, which is probably something <laughs> you could do. You yes. know. 
Um, there's a get bit legacy with those little kind of guys trying to outswim the shark. I don't know how long of a legacy game that would actually be. There's another little wacky one where it's pandemic. So pandemic, but with pandas for some reason. There is a, I guess, because everything internet, it has to be a kitty version. So there's kitties of splendor because <laughs> internet. But I, I think my favorite out of all these that I saw, and 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 this was actually something that Bezier Games went out and did, which was a, a kind of a mock-up commercial for New York Slice, which is the game where it's like these pieces of slices where you're trying to get set collection together. Legacy version using real pizza. Oh, nice. All right. So the legacy part being that you eat it, right? Yes. And you can actually <laughs> watch this video. I do recommend watching it. It's kind of kind of funny. It's kind of sloppy and messy, as you would assume it would be. And I think they it, it kind of got so much media attention out there that Domino's was offering some sort of giveaway promotion, which kind of makes it worse because Domino's is really not something you want to eat. But I guess if you're thinking about board game components, you know, it's as close to cardboard as, you know, pizza tends to come. Ooh, Domino's burn. Yeah. Well, they usually do come burned, so it's fine. Oh, no, dang, man. I lived off that stuff in college. Yeah, that explains a lot. That's why you don't uh, like pizza. <laughs> I love pizza. I can't eat it. Oh, don't get me started. It's a sad thing. <laughs> well, there's just some insane fun that's going on on Board Game Geek and in the board gaming universe. So before we get into our feature review, which we're going to talk about Azul and all the great games that you can play that has a lot of similar Azul-like mechanics, Anthony, what's going on with our question of the week? What else is going out there? Okie dokie. So uh, if you guys haven't noticed, Kickstarter has been a bit busy of late. I don't think I've seen this many games that are actually worth looking at on Kickstarter in a short two-month period ever. So it's been kind of nuts, and it's kind of put me on lockdown i'm like i can't even look at it anymore budget done no more kickstarter so anyways i was asking people would you buy less expensive versions of big games with cardboard instead of minis because some of these games are very expensive and we all know why it's all that plastic you know some people responded with well it's not really viable they couldn't run two scoos they can't have like multiple versions of the same game i know i know i know this is an ideal world where maybe a super big developer or publisher is like you know what we'll make two versions a cheap version and a more expensive version and a couple people even recommended oh they could have start with a cardboard version and then sell miniatures to add on to it and i don't think it's that far off like WizKids has been doing this thing where uh if you buy you know their big miniatures games like they had a the storm giants one their DD game last year you get the normal version or you get the premium version where they painted it same idea right just sure. no minis and minis I asked people what they thought, and it was roughly what I expected. I mean, some people are like, uh, Xavier mentioned, no, when it comes to mind is Simon's uh, Rum and Bone Second Tide. I love this game, but the minis make it. Cardboard is a poor substitute. Uh, component quality matters. Somebody, somebody even called us out saying, uh, didn't you just do an entire bracket about how important component quality <laughs> is? I was like, touche, but still worth asking. Um Ryan mentioned, absolutely, minis don't do much of anything for me. And a bunch of people said this, that minis are not really a thing for them. Uh, I don't have time or the care to paint them, which is another very common theme, is that these come unpainted, and if you're never, ever going to paint them, it's a little less interesting than like having full artwork on the cardboard. Um, and he mentioned he really likes the clear plastic standees in The Captain is Dead. 
Um, we had George said maybe, but I don't think we should expect that from the companies they want to make. Um, why would they spend extra money to make two versions of the game? So, you know, we talked about that. Chris mentioned, and this is the reason I actually put this up originally, the thing that keeps me away from a lot of big Kickstarters is that games have more complex minis and in greater number. I really dislike playing with unpainted figures, but I don't want to play the game until I've done all the paint. Mm. Given my limited time, that means minis games are not getting out to play anytime soon. Uh, so if we're talking standees, the quality of Legends of Andor or far, Near and Far, yes, please. I'm slightly relieved that the Alien Homage game Life Form, which hits Kickstarter tomorrow, is avoiding miniatures. So he's mentioning a game that's out there now. So, so yeah, I mean, I was thinking of games like Legends of Andor is a great one. Those minis are, are those standees are awesome, and it keeps the price of that game like at fifty bucks. Uh, it's a great game, and it would be one hundred and fifty bucks if it had minis for all that. Gloomhaven actually, in its first Kickstarter, had a version with just standees. I think he stopped doing that because again, it's hard to run two versions of a game. Um, but that was an interesting thing early on. So yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people would be cool with that. I know it's not really viable, but a lot of people out there are interested in the idea of getting these big, amazing games that are so expensive because of all that plastic, being able to play them without the plastic. What was that time travel game that you got where it's got these really ultra, really super cool kind of miniatures that don't do too much in the game? Yes, Anachrony. That's a, I meant to bring that up and I forgot. This is exactly the thing that a lot of people were saying would be cool is if you buy Anachrony, just the base game, I think it's 60 or $70, comes as a giant box but it's not full but it's all cardboard there's no plastic miniatures or anything in there then you can buy a separate box that comes with an expansion and all the miniatures so all of your workers can then become these big mechs you don't need them they're very cool though but it's an option and then it's an add-on price so for people who want those great now you've spent a hundred dollars in the game which is what you'd expect but if you don't want them it's 50 60 for a, a euro which is again what you'd expect for cardboard so that would be kind of cool if we saw more of that. All right. And if you'd like to add to that discussion, don't forget, it's going on every day on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on BoardGameGeek, our Patreon account, which has access to our Slack channel, and our upcoming board game giveaway each and every week. So we're looking forward to having you on there as a Patreon backer. All right, Anthony, let's get on to our acquisition disorders. Okay, so... Uh, we're just talking about cardboard and plastic and miniatures, so let's talk about the Street Fighter miniature game. <laughs> there you go. Um, this is the like the far end of the spectrum, because this is a full-blown miniatures game with pre-painted miniatures. They're very large, and it's decently expensive. So this is from Jasco Games. They did the Mega Man game a couple years ago, which also came with pre-painted miniatures. That game ended up being just kind of okay. It wasn't an amazing game, but it looked really good. This game, who knows how it plays. I have not had a chance to play it or demo it myself. Hopefully I can do so this summer at a con. But the look of it, the actual look and feel of this game is amazing. So the core box set, the their $140 pledge, comes with eight fighters. And they're fully painted, and they are at a larger scale than you're typically used to. So they range in size because each of these characters is a different size, but I think it's 65 to 80 millimeters. And they just look really, really nice. There's, you know, ever, hoping that they come out in the same quality um, paint job in the end, because obviously this is the best quality that they have here. But if it does, these are collector's quality pieces that you can put up on your shelf. And that would be really, really cool. So the game itself... 
looks to have some board game elements mixed in with some miniature gaming elements. I mean, there's 3D terrain. It's all made of cardboard. There's multiple different maps. It's card-driven based on there's battle decks for each of the characters, so they're unique uh, for each character. And then there are, of course, battle dice. And uh, the player boards are interesting. They have these little, you know, turny dials on them, and it has the, you know, your health meter... It looks like something out of Street Fighter. The graphic design on this game in general is very, very good. I don't know that I want another miniatures game or that I necessarily want this as a miniatures game, but I kind of want these models just to put on the shelf. They look really nice. So I'm hoping I get a chance to take a look at them this summer and see what they look like. This is, again, like the far end of that spectrum of... And it kind of sets itself out as you couldn't do this without these, so it doesn't really fit that earlier conversation of replacing with cardboard. But it's also decently expensive so it is very much like miniatures for the sake of miniatures we built a game around these miniatures hopefully the game is good um but they are very very cool to look at yeah this definitely has high toy value to it and i don't mean that in a bad way i mean this looks like really highly crafted miniatures and some really interesting stretch goals but the challenge here again is once you kind of get started you kind of want them all and there are a lot of possible upgrade packs here if you are a street fighter fan which i am i i didn't follow it all the way through probably street fighter 3 maybe even my last thing but i was a big player back in the day the gameplay here looks fun but my concern is these are the same people who did mega man right yeah yeah and that's just what throws me a little bit because mega man looked beautiful and the game was just very disappointing think by uh jasco games and that hit the bargain bin rather quickly. But I really do like seeing this in board game version. It's nice to see the crossover here and just going to bring more people into board gaming. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's tough when you, like you said, you want everything and that's almost $300. Yeah. It's $280 for the full pledge. So it's on par with like a Batman. And that's a lot. But it does have the versus mode. It does play up to six players, I think. Yeah. If you're playing in team mm-hmm. modes, so it's not just a one-on-one miniatures game, which is a problem with a lot of these miniatures games, for me at least. You know, oh, definitely. I'm like, oh, great. Oh, it's one-on-one. Well, I already have some of those. I'm done. <laughs> I, I don't even play those. Yeah, I mean, hopefully there's a chance to pick this up down the line after the Kickstarter. And if you are a huge Street Fighter fan or if you just like the looks of these models, you do get a lot of them for that price. So, I mean, it is, it's at least worth looking at. Yeah, absolutely agree. All right, now on the opposite version of that, I have a Kickstarter that I want to talk about that is actually all about the cardboard, but super heavy into theme. And this one is called Good Dog, Bad Zombie, a cooperative board game. Bark, sniff, and lick your way through the apocalypse to save the humans you love. So this game is all about, I guess, as they explain it, a cross between Walking Dead and Homeward Bound. So in this game, you are playing one of these loyal dogs trying to save the humans or humans in this game across Central Bark. Now, what the fun part about this game is, is it's all about the theme. When you get your player card and player powers, you play one of these different dogs and all of your abilities, everything about you is, I guess for a lack of a better term, you know, dogified. So it's nothing that kind of would necessarily connect with being a human playing the game. This is all related to being a dog. So, you know, being able to smell and and sniff and lick and being able to chase down and certain areas of the board are all named after, as we assume, versions of the world as seen through a dog's eyes. 
So that's really interesting. And basically, it's a light family co-op game, and it's just got a really good humor to it. It's on Kickstarter now, and the campaign is running out soon. So if, you, if you're interested in a light family game that has, I guess, somewhat cartoonish zombies and loyal, brave dogs trying to save all humanity, this campaign wraps up on Thursday, April 12th. And a little more bonus to go along with this, by backing this game, you are also supporting help for real dogs and in shelters, and you're supporting a company that is producing the game in the USA through co-ops and through ethical means. So it's nice to see another board game that it's actually giving back to the community, producing it in a very ethical way, and has a game that's themed throughout. So if you love dogs, check out Good Dog, Bad Zombie, a cooperative board game. All right, everyone, let's get on to the games that we are getting to the table. So for BG at the table, we are going to take a look at a board game that's recently hit our table. We're going to tell you if the game's worth a buy and you should pick it up, the game's worth a play and you should sit down, the game's worth a dodge and you should get your heck out of there, or the game's worth a burn, come along, burn the game, and then get you out of there. All right, Anthony, what have you been getting to the table this week? Okie dokie. So I had a chance recently to play Heaven and Ale. This is a new game from Spiel that released here in the... It released at Essen, and it's just now recently gotten to the U.S. It's a Michael Kiesling game with Andrea Schmidt, and it is a game about making beer as monks, as you might guess. So the heaven, the monks, the ale, the beer. There you go. And it is a very, very tight game. So the goal of this game is to build out your tableau in front of you, and everybody has a personal board, and there's a light side of the board and a dark side of the board, and you're going to be placing different resource tiles onto these spaces that you will purchase as you go around the main board and activating them in different ways. The point of activate, activating them is to, on the dark side, generate money that you'll need to do all this cool stuff. And on the light side, move up all your different trackers. So you have five different trackers that correspond to the different elements of beer. So hops and water and all these different things that you need. The goal is to get all five of those markers up off of the ingredient side of the board and into the numbered area. And you also have a little guy that you need to move up, uh, your brewmaster, he needs to get up into the numbered area as well. And that's gonna determine your final scoring. So you wanna get all six of these pieces as far out as you can in aggregate. So you don't want one piece all the way at the end, you want them all further out. Um, so there's a lot of balancing. You can't just do one thing. This is not an engine builder. This is very much a resource management game and you need to be very tight and careful with your money and with your activations and what you buy and where you put things and you just have to think through a lot of your decisions. So there's a little bit of AP here because all the decisions you make are important. Now, as for how to get all that stuff out, there is a central board and you will be going around it similar to you know a game like Takedo where you can kind of jump ahead of people and take actions and block them off. In this one, however, when you get to a space, you're going to purchase a thing and empty it out. So if somebody else goes there later after you've left, there's nothing there. The board is decently long, you know, there's a good 20 plus spaces all the way around it, but some of these spaces are better than others. There are monk tiles, for example. These monks, when you activate them, allow you to activate all the tiles around them. So they're pretty powerful, but there's only four out at any given time. There are scoring tokens. There are six of these out every round, but they disappear fairly quickly, especially the latter three that allow you to do any of the scoring actions uh, because you have uh, 12 available or 10 available scoring actions in the game. The, the, the 
basically each of them allows you to activate a different type of tile on your board. But after you take each of them, you can't take it again. So once you've activated one, it's blocked off. You need to go get a different one. So the wild ones are more powerful. But of course, people will run ahead of you and take those. And this can be very frustrating. It can actually even make it kind of mean at times if people just start taking those tokens to block you if they know that's what you need to be able to catch up to them. It gets a little rough at the end of the game for sure. You're also going to have all the resource tokens out there. These are each of the different ingredients in uh, numerations from one to five. And so obviously the fives are better, but they cost more because you need to spend that much money to put it on your board. If you want to put it on the light side to help you move up your tracks, you have to pay double. So you need a lot of money. You need a good engine to generate that money. It's difficult. One of the ways you generate the money is through the scoring. You will activate certain tiles. If they're on the dark side, you get some money. Another way is with settlements. If you surround these settlements and there are seven of them on your board, you will be able to place out a token, which then activates some of these tiles. You can also activate tiles using your monks. So lots of different ways to activate things, but there's also a finite number of times you can activate things. So you need to be careful about when you do it and how you do it. The game plays over a differing number of rounds based on how many players there are. So if you play with three players, for example, you play four rounds, if you play with four players, you get six rounds. And the reason it varies so much is because there's more competition for those spaces on the board. A three player game is fairly tight with the full six rounds with four players. If you can get a four player game going, you get a little more opportunities. It's not quite as tight and mean, the last round of the game, there's two of those scoring tokens on each space, so there's 12 of them out there. It's still a bit of a race, and you know, you're going to fight for them, but it's not as bad um, when you only have four rounds to do it in. I like this game quite a bit, and it, part of that is because it's my type of game. I like these puzzly games where you have to map out where to put your tiles and do the math and figure out what's going to make the most sense, and then figure out, okay, if I take this action, and then this action, and then this action, I can activate my settlement, and then do the scoring, and that's going to trigger this again and I could put my monk here and he's going to trigger all these tiles. It's very much one of those games where you need to be very carefully managing your money and your resources and the tiles on the board. And at the same time, there's that push your luck element of you don't you never want to be in a position of I really need that tile and then hoping nobody else takes it because someone else will probably take it. <laughs> and then and then you're out of luck. You need to have just a little bit of flexibility in there. So that if the thing you need disappears, you still have an option. Um, you're not completely hosed for the rest of your strategy. And that's that's a quick way to get pretty angry in this game. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I am I like it quite a bit. I've played it you know, a handful of times now. I think uh, it's definitely grip dependent. Some people are not going to dig this because of how tight it is and because people can just swoop in and take the things they need and ruin their strategy. It's, it's definitely on the tighter end in terms of euros. It's not so, you know, it's not that multiplayer solitaire, quote unquote. Um, where you can do whatever you want to do and min-max your game. But if none of that bothers you, if you like the tightness of the game, um, if if this is uh, if you like more mathematical, puzzly types of euros, this is a fairly good one. So yeah, I give this a, a very strong play, conditional buy if you really like puzzly games. But I think for most people, it's just worth giving it a play and seeing you know if it's the kind of game that it sits for you. Yeah, I got a chance to play this as well. And as you said, it's tight. It's highly tactical, even though it doesn't look that way at first sight with all the kind of community goals. It's beautiful. It's really sharply designed. It's a little unforgiving. And as you said, you know, it's a you get, it's a tile placement game. But really what it comes down to is it's probably a really tight efficiency game because mm -hmm. 
what moves you're going to move on the board. It's not like Sakaido where like, oh, I got to that first or you got to that first, but I'll have chances later on to get to it. This is a very tight tactical game. You need to make money and you need to move up the resources, you know, turn one. You can't wait till that kind of comes into play later. You need to do that right away. And what your plans might be might be thrown out the window because someone's taking something. So you got to do the best you can. So this game's all about efficiency and it's a really sharp game. And as you said, it's probably not for everybody because it is so tight and it is so tactical and it's a little unforgiving at the lower player count. But, but you know, for me as well, it's a play. All right. So I want to talk about uh, another game I got a chance to play. And this is a game that comes from one of my favorite designers, Michael Kiesling. Now, you probably already know him, or I guess he's come into, I guess, bigger popularity recently from, I guess, his probably more famous kind of recent release, Azul, which ironically we'll be talking about at the end of the episode. But he's already released other games that Anthony and I really do love, like Vikings. Uh, I know Drew is a big Cold Baron fan. The Palace of Carrera is one of my favorite games. And as Anthony was just talking about, Heaven and Ale, right? So Riverboat was something that we had seen not too far back at PAX Unplugged. And I had seen it from a distance. A couple of my friends got a chance to play it. And I recently got a chance to play it. And as all of these games tend to be, it is a light to medium weight Euro. And Riverboat is all about being an owner of a farm on the Mississippi River. And basically what you're doing is you are, in each of the four rounds, you will be drafting a card that's going to allow you to take an action. So there are five actions that are available. Think like San Juan, where there are just these different opportunities to do things. All of them will happen each round. It's just a matter of who picks what and gets the special bonus from that. So when you take these actions, because they are numerically ordered, there are going to be things like placing people out in the fields to kind of set the fields up, then picking up the different vegetables to go out to the fields for planting. And then the third action will be somewhere along the lines of being able to pick up riverboats and pulling your people off those fields so that those crops can be harvested and sent down the river. And then you'll have your people available to go out to the further rounds. And then there's scoring because there's always kind of like this interesting scoring mechanic where these different cards are going to come out and they'll have different scoring possibilities for you. So based on what you grew and based upon where your people are there, you might be able to score additional points. There's also little add-ons. There's wells and there's barns and things like that, but it's, it's a relatively short game. I think the game says 90 minutes, but you probably can play it maybe around 60 minutes. Once everyone has the mechanics down, maybe after the first or so rounds, the game goes to the extra effort of explaining that, hey, everything around that time on the Mississippi River wasn't as nice and sweet as this game happens to make it. So we want to acknowledge that. Really like that. Good job, guys. But, you know, we are playing up these aspects of it. It's a fun, interesting, medium weight to lightweight Euro. Plays, I would say, closer to an hour. The theme isn't really there so much. It's kind of pasted on because basically you're placing your meeples to set up things and then you're placing these tiles down. So think about, I would say, probably Kingdom Builder is that kind of the closest comparison where these cards flip over and you have to place your people out there. So Kingdom Builder meets San Juan's mechanic as far as picking the different pieces. And then it's, of course, farming because 
it's a Euro game, of course. So Riverboat, I would say, is a solid play. And as it stands, the game is $70 MSRP. You can get it for 10% off on most of our, you know, friendly websites. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. I'm glad. I mean, I, I'm not going to pick it up, but I'm glad to hear you say it's at least worth a play. Because I know it packs the group that we came across sure. that were playing it. We're not super impressed. Maybe the expectations were just higher. I think so. I mean, it's a great designer. Yeah, well, obviously he's released a lot of games in the last year since this entire episode is about his games. So <laughs> he's a busy guy. I know. We should just name this episode after him after all. No kidding. <laughs> all right. So that's everything that's hitting our table. Now to our feature review. So for our feature review, we are going to talk about continually talking about everything Keesling and in particular his big blockbuster hit azul now azul if you haven't gotten a chance to play it you've probably seen it somewhere because really where it's drawn probably the most attention are these beautiful tiles that make up these really interesting kind of tableaus where based upon what you're picking up from this kind of open marketplace you're placing them on your board once you fill up a certain area it activates you're able to drop your tile into a whole set of other tiles Based upon where that tile lands, it's going to be able to kind of like score off other tiles. And then at the end of the game, based upon covering all of one color, getting rows, getting columns, you're going to get additional victory points. It's a really fun abstract game on the lighter side, but definitely worth your time for a play. And if you can get it at the right price, maybe even at a buy. So, Anthony, we're going to talk about games that utilize a lot of these great Azul mechanics in other games. So, why don't you start us off on our love affair of Azul and where we can find that elsewhere. Yeah, so when I was looking at this, you know, I didn't want to just focus on the abstract side of Azul. I mean, it is an abstract, but it really what it is, is you're pattern building. You're taking pieces from a, a general pool and you're building out a pattern on your own personal player board. So all these games we're going to talk about have your own personal player board, you're building something, and it's unique to you, but using the same pieces and tools as everybody else. So one of the first games I thought of that does that is Sagrada. Uh, Sagrada is a game about making stained glass windows using these great little colored dice. Um, you have these cards with d unique different patterns on them, and you slide them into your stained glass board that the game comes with, and you are basically you draft the dice throughout the game and you try to place them following these very strict placement rules onto your card then at the end of the game you'll see how you score based on you know various multipliers bonus cards other things that you pick up it's it's a puzzle it's kind of abstract but it's also just very compelling and a lot of fun and it's really cool to see what you build at the end even if it doesn't score amazing it just looks kind of cool so um that's sagrada if you can find it it's in and out of print a lot lately hopefully they catch up eventually with the demand for this um, but this is definitely one to check out if you're a fan of azul yeah another aspect to azul is the as you mentioned earlier the pattern building but also the intense kind of press your luck mechanic as far as when do you pick up a tile how long can you let it kind of build up and gain the number that you really do need so a game that's very similar in that vein is alhambra now alhambra has been out for quite some time it's pretty much a big kind of like gateway game for queen from queen games and basically in alhambra you are building up your alhambra so you are choosing currency choosing money 
to be able to purchase buildings from a building market. And where this little kind of press your luck mechanic comes in is because if you're able to purchase a building with the exact right amount of currency that that building costs, you'll be able to take a, a second action. And that's really what you want to be able to do in this game. But you may lose the building that you want. Once you're able to kind of take from that market, you get to place it in your own little tableau. And ideally what you're trying to do, just like in Azul, you're trying to gain as many of the same colors as possible because if you match up all those patterns, you'll score additional victory points. Same thing here with Alhambra, trying to get the most of particular colors to score the most of victory points for those colors. Alhambra is an interesting, great little tile placement game that you can get in a mega super box version, which has almost seemingly endless numbers of expansion modules that come along with the game. It's fun and definitely you should check out. Okie doke. So I wanted to touch on uh, not one, but several games that have come out recently from Uwe Rosenberg. He has a trilogy of puzzle games. Now, two of them have been released thus far. Uh, we have Cottage Garden, and most recently, we have uh, Indian Summer. And both of these games involve taking different polyomino pieces and placing them on your own personal mat and trying to cover it in certain ways. Cottage Garden is fairly straightforward. There's like a central board that everybody drafts from, and you're building out your, your space, and you're trying to basically complete the space, but also have a certain number of, you know, pots and cloches there that will move up your different scoring tracks. So trying to min-max, you know, it's efficiency. You're trying to efficiently complete your puzzle, and you're going to end up doing that five or six times in the game. Indian Summer, however, is you're only going to complete it one time, but as you complete it, there's a lot of different things you unlock and upgrade, and you can get these different special tiles and all these little tokens that give you bonuses. So it's a little bit more involved of a game, but it's still that kind of puzzly completion pattern building style of game and both of these while not necessarily abstracts they're definitely puzzle have a similar feel and that you're taking pieces from a central pool um, that everybody gets to choose from and you are manipulating it to some degree you can move things around a little bit and then you are building your own tableau with it and ideally getting the most points in the process of doing that so those games are, I have a lot of fun with them. I like puzzle games, obviously. And I'm looking forward to the third one, which should be coming out either later this year or next year. Well, jumping back to pattern building, a game that's been out for not too long, but really got a lot of attention is Karuba. Now, Karuba is about kind of like these Indiana Jones explorers trying to track down treasure in the Amazon here. And basically what you're doing, it has a little bit of, I, I kind of explain it as a bingo mechanic where... A tile flips over, and you're all going to be able to take the same tile and then place it in a way that's going to be able to build you a path. So tile on top, next to tile, next to tile, next to tile is eventually going to get you to the different idols and treasures that you want to capture and then score you the most amount of victory points. But everyone can build up their patterns differently, which I like in Azul. Same thing here. Definitely on the family weight version. You can play with families and even kids, but even hardcore gamers do enjoy this game. That is Karuba. Okay, so another game that came out uh, relatively recently, a couple years ago, is Quadropolis. This is a uh, Days of Wonder release uh, from Francois Gondon, and it is about building your own personal city. So there is a central board, again, that you'll be pulling pieces from. And when you do, you're going to use one of your architect tokens. Each of them has a different number on it. 
and you're going to point at the row or column where you want a piece, take the corresponding piece, and then put down a uh, architect token so nobody else can take from the corresponding row or column. So the game is all about getting the pieces you need while blocking other people and working around what other people are doing. Kind of similar to what Azul does with that central, with those factories in the center of the board. And then as you build out your own personal space, there's lots of rules about placement, where things can go, where they can't go, where they're going to score, where they're not going to score. So you have to keep that in mind as well, also similar to Azul. Um, and you'll be planning ahead a lot. So it is a fairly straightforward game. There's a page and a half of rules. There's a more advanced version of the game as well that I honestly prefer the basic version, but it is, it's classic Days of Wonder, quick, easy to get into. Um, don't see it out nearly enough and well worth checking out if you're a fan of this type of pattern building, tableau building, and just generally building cool stuff on your own placemat. All right, well, talking about building cool stuff, and obviously Azul gained so much attention for its beautiful artwork and really great pieces, is Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Now, this is a game from Bezier Games that's all about building a castle, and in particular, it boils down to kind of utilizing, once again, a press-your-luck mechanic in in conjunction with a market as far as if you are the master builder what you're going to do is you're going to have a number of rooms to put up for sale and you're going to determine what's most expensive and what's cheapest obviously what you're trying to do is set the rooms you need at the price you can afford and set the rooms that everyone else needs at a high price but not so high that they won't buy it because you're going to need the money to purchase rooms later in the game once you've actually purchased a room you're going to add it to your other tableau of rooms on the table. Now, based upon how those rooms kind of link up and how they close off other doorways, you're going to score additional victory points, just like Azul. This game has a lot of fun. It's a little crunchy, a little on the medium side as far as the Euro is concerned, but can definitely be played with family and friends. I highly recommend picking up the expansion because it adds moats. So if you do have people that are playing Azul and getting all the attention, bring out Castles of Mad King Ludwig with its expansion, and you'll have everyone running over to your side to play that game. All right, so that's everything for our feature review. If you like Azul, try out these other games. We're sure that you'll really enjoy them as much or nearly as much as Azul. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. <laughs>